Welcome to the Intentional Encourager podcast, where each episode brings you compelling conversations and stories designed to entertain, enlighten, and encourage. And now here's your host, Brian Sexton. And welcome into the Intentional Encourager podcast. I'm your host, Brian Sexton. Thank you for joining us again today. It's not often that I get a business consultant and a sales consultant. So you're getting two for the price of one today, but she is a dynamo. You can go to her website, Liz Wendling, W-E-N-D-L-I-N-G, LizWendling.com, or you can just hang out here with Liz and I for the next little bit, and you can learn straight from her. And it is an honor to welcome Liz Wendling to the Intentional Encourager podcast. Liz, how are you today? I am doing great. I was looking forward to our conversation all day. So this is wonderful. Get to see your face. I don't know that I would look forward to any conversation with me all day. I mean, you know, just ask my wife. She well, we got like, connected in such a good, fun way on your birthday. Somebody said, hey, you need to know her and you need to know him. And it was your birthday and it was just a nice, it felt like a really nice divine way to me it was and and i got to give a hat tip to our good buddy eric konovalov um, yes. EK, ek as i affectionately call him he is a great guy and he just um he he saw what i love about eric is he he sees when people need to be connected together and it's a beautiful thing so let's start here liz mm -hmm. i want to know from you about how the last 16 or 17 months have been everybody has handled the COVID-19 pandemic in different ways. I know what we've gone through here in West Virginia, where you are in, in Colorado is, is a little bit different. How have you and your family handled the COVID-19 pandemic? And what lesson have you taken out of it either personally or professionally? Oh, many, many, many. But the one thing that just dropped into my head was initially the first three weeks of the pandemic, I went to a, an old behavior that I hadn't been to in a long time, and that was fear. I don't often resort right to fear. A lot of times I can catch myself and say, okay, what's going on here? What do we need to do? But this was the kind of situation when we went into lockdown, I had never been in lockdown. So I didn't know who I was going to be, how I was going to act, what I was going to do. And once I unraveled the fear and realized First of all, I've never not landed on my feet. I've never not been able to make a living. I've never not been able to rise above anything. So why would this one be any different? Even though it was one I never heard of, never experienced, along with the rest of the world. But that's the part that helped me understand it the most was I wasn't alone. Every single person on the planet was about to deal with something in a very different way. And for me, I decided to lean into it. And I asked myself, how can I be better when this is over? How could I be stronger, maybe leaner, happier, more fun? I, I questioned everything in my life throughout the pandemic. And I, I don't know how many people could say this, but I, I like the person who came out of it. And I'm also grateful for the pandemic on my own level. I know there was some tragedy as well, but I'm grateful that the world had a, had the opportunity to pause and to look at what's working and what's not. It was the great pause. So yes, there were some bad things and then there were some good things that come out of it, just like any tragedy. And I chose to be able to view both of them uh, with a different lens. 
I love the fact that you you went there with that. And, and, and I've said this to people before, that there are some types of people, if you would say to them, okay, Liz, I want you to walk barefoot across hot coals or something like that. Most people would take that and they, okay, I'll figure it out. I'll do it. Most people, it would scare them to death. And yep. so I love how you said, I landed on my feet. When you think about the first few weeks of your business, I want you to, to kind of take us, because I know there are people listening that say, I still don't know how business is, is working out. 16, mm -hmm. 17 months later, I'm still spending day after day trying to figure it out. Maybe there's some entrepreneurs that are listening to us talk today from a business standpoint. And I love what you said about, I like the person who came out of the other side of this. From a business standpoint, how were you able to take your business and make it better? Or how would how did you pivot? Take me through the business side of it, if you will. Okay. After I came down from the ledge after the first three weeks. <laughs> you and you, you don't say there were I mean, that is such a common thing, right? I mean I was there. Well, I I said to myself, Oh my gosh, if I don't have a business, what am I gonna do? I'm the worst employee in the world. I'm terrible. No one's gonna hire me. I'm, I'm the kind of employee that used to say, why are we doing it that way? Why can't we do it this way? I would go in there and try to change their whole business model two days after I got hired. So I was a really crappy employee and I thought, no one's going to hire me. I have to make this work. Well, at so, least you didn't tell yourself to pack your stuff and go home. You know, no, that's, yeah. yeah. Didn't do that. But what I realized was here was an opportunity, like a lot of businesses, we do a lot of things because we think we're supposed to. Oh, that's what I hear works. Or, oh, I probably should be doing that. Ooh, I love that. I, I got to jump in there. I, you have just hit on something profound right there. Is is that, in the? In, it seems like in the midst of uncertainty, we check to what other people are doing instead of trusting our, our gut, trusting yep. ourselves. I love what you said there. Would you go a little deeper with that and 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 tell us a little bit? Because I, I mean, I had to jump in there because that is such a a common mistake that people make is listening to outside voices yes. instead of trusting their gut. Well, if you think about thirty days into the pandemic, the only thing I was getting pitched on all over LinkedIn, Facebook, in my email was get your stuff online, put your programs online, go virtual, create a product, create a this, launch that. So all these people were taking their stuff, let's call it stuff, I have another word for it, but we'll call it stuff. And all they were doing was in a fury, in a, in a fear mode, in a lack mode, of scarcity mode. They, okay, let me just take my stuff and put it into a program and I'll package it and sell it all from the context of survival and fear, not the context of let me step back, see what it is I want to offer people. What do I want in my program? What do I want to put out in the world that leaves a mark? Not not out of fear. I want to do it out of inspiration. So I did the old zigzag while everybody else was zigging and they were creating their $1,000, $5,000 products that were a piece of crap, in my opinion, because they were doing it from the wrong energy. 
I decided to step back and ask myself a series of questions. What do I want out there? What do I want out there in a pandemic that is A, going to help and B, going to make me feel intentional about what I put out there? Intention was my word of 2020. In fact, so much so I took it into 2021. Intention was very big for me. And anything I touched in 2020 had to have intention behind it. And if it didn't, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. So I shut the noise off of, you need to do this. You've got to get a studio in your house and spend $5,000. And you need to, no, I don't have to do anything. What I do have to do is step back far enough and assess, what do I want to do? What is my heart telling me to do? What is my instincts and my intuition leading me to do? I went inward instead of looking for the information outside. You know, I love love that you said that because- when I started doing this podcast, I went out and bought a mixer and I bought compressor microphones <laughs> and I bought this and that. And I realized the longer that I do this, I want things that are portable. I can take a webcam. I can take this microphone and everything that I can do. I can go to, to Hobby Lobby and get a green screen. Yeah, I can take this and make it portable. So wherever I am, the podcast can be also. That's right. And and I love what you said about looking intentionally because if, and people have asked me, they'll say, well, what would you do over again if you could do it, if you could do it over again? And I would say, I would not have listened to so many people and I would have said, okay, how can I do this economically? I, you know, I, I, a, a USB microphone, who would it, what yeah. a concept. Every computer in the world has a USB. And yep. so I, you know, now I wouldn't have realized that webcams would get to be like toilet paper in West Virginia. And you couldn't, right. you couldn't get toilet paper and webcams in July of last year <laughs> in West Virginia. So, so my videos, if you look back at the Intentional Encourager podcast in June or July of last year, all my videos look like the Sapruder film. That's the, the Kennedy assassination, the guy standing with the... Yes. <laughs> with that with the camera and it looks like and it's grainy and it's terrible. Uh-huh. But Liz, I love what you said there about being intentional in figuring it out for yourself and figuring out what you wanted to bring to your customers and to your clients. How did your clients respond when you became more intentional about delivering what you felt was needed instead of what everybody else felt you should do. Well, my my inspiration came from a series of just aha moments or I got uh, when you know when you're just you're doing something else but you get an inspiration and you're like, "Oh, that's interesting." And I knew that was my intuition or inspiration talking to me. And the I call them V8 moments. I just hit myself on the head and say they're V8 moments. Yeah. Well, so what I did was I had this thought and I, I I remember distinctly I was washing the coffee pot and it and I had a thought to reach out to all of my past clients who either hired me or didn't hire me or in the process of and what I offered every single one of them was an option to uh, have me do a Zoom meeting, do a Zoom call with their, um, with their. I work with attorneys and business owners. So uh, a, a Zoom call with their attorneys to go over some of the nuances that have changed, th- that had changed through the pandemic. Uh, a lot of people were doing video sales calls. 
almost yeah. everyone was jumping on, especially attorneys. They were doing court over a Zoom. But yeah. what no one taught these people how to do is how to intentionally connect, how to connect with someone and and stop talking about the pandemic. Hi, how are you? What's going on? Are you holding up? Now, I'm not saying don't be kind and ask people how they're holding up. There's so many other ways to make a better connection that actually feels like a connection, not an yeah. artificial. Oh, my gosh, I'm supposed to ask you how you feel. So how are you doing in these unprecedented times? Well, I turn and on the empathy. Yes. That, you know, turn it, you know, like, like, you know, I should always lead a conversation with empathy instead of, instead of just connecting with somebody one-on-one -on -one and yeah. just saying, you know, my day sucked. How was your day? You know, <laughs> yes. and just being real. And, and Liz, I love what you said there about the nuance, how everything got, as the Fresh Prince song said, my life got flipped, turned upside down. Yeah. Yep. You know, we were doing, you know, I, I was watching it's funny, the, the, the people's court. I remember when Judge Wapner, when I was a teenager and, a, and in college, I would watch Judge Wapner and I would tell my son, I'm like, they didn't used to do this this way. And it was virtual court. And I'm sitting there going, this is 2020. You know, yep. Judge Wapner would be turning over in his grave <laughs> if it... And Doug Llewellyn is inter is 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 Zoom interviewing the 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 you know they come out of the courtroom. Well, how do you think that went? And they're like, Well, how do you think I think it went? I lost, and I got yeah. my behind handed to me. <laughs> I, I love what you said there. Last question before we go to the break. Okay, I am really curious how people responded when you got intentional about connection because here's where I want to go with this. A lot of people have the misconception, Liz, that connection is just hitting a button on LinkedIn mm -hmm. or or making a friend request on Facebook or following somebody on Twitter or Instagram or something like that. And they don't understand what connection really means. When you got intentional with your clients about connection, what did you see coming back from those people? Oh, was so many yeses and oh my gosh, you'd really do that for us. Wow. You'd be willing to do that for free. They were so surprised. So my offer to them was, look, everybody can use a tune-up. There's nothing, there is not a person out there who couldn't use a little tune-up or tweak or a minor adjustment so that they can feel good about themselves moving into the next day and the next day and the next week. So my email didn't say, Sorry to bother you in these unprecedented times. I just went right to it. It sucks right now. Or, or right now, we've been hit. We're in a tornado or a cyclone, and it, we're still spinning. Here's what's happening in my world. I'm sure it's happening in yours. If you're open to it, I'd like to, first of all, thank you for being such a great client and giving me business. Or if it wasn't a, a client yet, here's an opportunity to show you what it is that I teach in a small 45 minute segment. If you like what you hear and it resonates with your people, you and I can hop on a call and figure out what it would look like to do something a little bit larger. So it was giving of me just a little piece of me that said, I can help you. And if, and if nothing happens, nothing happens. However, if something happens and your people say, wow, we need more of this, then we'll talk about that. And it led to so many lovely conversations uh, such as thanks for doing that. Oh my gosh, we took away so many in 45 minutes what you gave us. But I, I, I prefaced it all by saying, I'm not going deep. I'm going to go wide. I'm going to give you a few things 
many things to think about. I'm not going to go deep and give you training and, and all of that because it doesn't make sense to do that in 45 minutes. But I want to give you some insight into some of the areas that have changed. And if you don't change with them, you might not be in business. And they appreciated that I was looking out for them. So even the companies that hadn't hired me, but we had talked, but they said, oh, you know, we're doing okay now. Why don't we talk in six months? Well, that six months was accelerated and they said, what the heck, we'll listen to you. Well, we'll if you can teach us something new in 45 minutes, we'll take it. I love that. Proactive gratitude. Proactive yep. gratitude. And, and I wrote about that in People Buy From People. You know, and, and, and the premise around it, Liz, was what would happen if you just thank somebody because, just yep. because, proactively, without them doing anything and and it's empowering. It's eye opening. It's it is it blows people's minds. And and it's it's no wonder that you had people that responded the way they did, because a lot of people we're conditioned to say thank you after yes something happens, not yes. before. Let's and Brian, the yeah, best let's, part. Go there. Go there. Well, yeah. The best part was that feeling of that that true give to get moment. That I, I wasn't giving to get something. And what a distinction. It felt so clean and clear and congruent in my body that I was truly giving and thanking. And I was not thinking, okay, how many people can I close this week? Absolutely not. I was home. I couldn't leave. I wanted to give because that's what made me feel good. So selfishly, I knew giving would help me, make me feel better. And who knew in the giving that that was going to come back to me in so many different ways? That is so good. That is so good. I, I wanted, I'm glad you, I'm glad you put that cherry on top there because I was getting ready to take a break and, and, I'm glad you put that cherry on top. So let's go ahead and step aside, take a break. When we okay. come back, I've got to, I'm pulling something off of Liz's website. How many sales are you going to lose before you ask for help? I want to get into some, some thinking around that. And, and you're going to want to, I don't care what business you're in. If you're an entrepreneur, if you're a teacher, if you're a pastor, this question is universal. So maybe instead of how many sales you're going to lose, how many people are you yeah. going to lose right. before you ask for help? My guest is Liz Wendling, business and sales consultant here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Come back in just a moment. Hey, everybody, Brian Sexton here. I want to tell you about our sponsor, SEO National. SEO stands for Search Engine Optimization. Now, what's that, you might say? Well, Search Engine Optimization helps you show up higher on search engines in front of paying customers for words that you, as a business owner, can monetize. What a great concept. SEO National is owned by my good buddy, Damon Burton, who's been a guest here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Not only has Damon and his team worked with businesses of all sizes, from e-commerce startups to NBA teams and Shark Tank featured businesses, but more importantly, Damon and his team are about transparency, trust, and providing lifetime value. So much so that he still has his first customers after opening SEO National 14 years ago. Let me give you some intentional encouragement and call Damon and his team today at 855-736-6285 or go to www.seonational.com and get a free quote. Of what's on your website. 
How many sales are you going to lose before you ask for help? And, and here's the thing that I'll say. When you're a young salesperson, and I can remember to 1996, 97, 98, and I think to myself, oh boy, would I love to go back? 2021, Brian, would love to sit down and have lunch with 1998, Brian. <laughs> and I would say to him, man, you have got so much to learn. And I would write down five things for him. And I would probably ask him this question. That is such a good question. I want to know where it came from for you to think about this question. It, it is so good. Talk about that. Well, I talk to a lot of businesses, entrepreneurs every single day who are telling me, oh, well, we're doing video. We have an SEO person coming in. We're going to work on our marketing. We're going to get our website all jazzed up and we don't want to do any sales training yet. Heaven forbid our phone rings and we can't handle it. So it's it, they were, what they were really saying is I'm pushing sales off because I'm afraid of it. So we're going to turn, we're going to look, we're not going to look at the elephant in the room. We're going to look at all the other things that we can blame for lack of sales than actually selling and making sales. So well, I'd have people say to me, well, you know what, we're, we're doing a, we, a redo on our website and you know, we're gonna try some LinkedIn prospecting. And I said, great, all that stuff is great, but what happens when all that starts to work? What happens when your beautiful website starts attracting people that wanna talk to you? Then they pick up the phone and they talk to your people who don't know how to speak to someone today, who don't understand what it takes to move someone, connect someone, inspire someone, build value and get someone to say yes to you. All you have is a beautiful marketing campaign, but you don't know how to close business. Well, Liz, it, it is. It and I'm sitting there, you're running through that scenario. And it's like this person that has practiced in their in their living room or in the shower. And then they get the opportunity to go on America's Got Talent or they've got they get the chance to go on The Voice or something like that. And they get stage fright. Yes. And all of that practice and all of that time and all yep. of that work, in a moment, they just don't know what to do because... It, that moment's there. And and I've seen, I've seen it from salespeople over the years and I've coached some salespeople over the years where they get in, you know, you, you hire them for a reason and then they get in front of a customer and it, and it's like, are you okay? You, are, you know, they're, they're holding their, and, and I'm trying not to be graphic. Those of you on YouTube, but they're holding their mouth and running to the restroom. Yeah. And, and so it, it is, it's amazing how do people overcome that that fear moment that that oh my gosh the moment's here because when that moment gets there what you're saying is be ready for it what you're saying what what I'm hearing you say is be ready for that moment yes. because that moment's going to come right. so how do you push that how do you kick that fear to the curb you you say something in your, on your website and I'm get I promise I forgive me for the long-winded question you say kick fear to the curb when asking for a sale so how do you kick fear to the curb I'll get to that but I want to touch on something you said you a lot of times what people will think is they'll tell themselves a really made up fable about sales. Oh, I'm just great. When I get in front of somebody, I'm fabulous. I know how to talk. I to used people. to call those people trick artists because yeah. what, they, what they would say is 
is is they would say now watch watch me watch me watch me like you know it's like the the magician it's like watch me make the lady levitate or something like yeah. that and then you you know they actually try to do it and, and it's a miserable failure so yeah. Yeah, I, I know but go go a little well, further about the fable. yeah they lie to themselves and say oh no you know once you know i'm great once i get in front of someone it's uh, I have a problem with the clothes. I'm great at everything else. I just don't know how to close. I don't know how to ask for the sale. And I want to take somebody by the neck when they tell me that because the clothes has nothing to do with it. The clothes is a natural culmination of an incredible conversation where you built value, where you asked the right questions, where you connected, you showed empathy, you were able to show someone how you can solve their problems. You do all of that well, which is, by the way, called selling. It's a sales conversation. It's not a chit-chat conversation where you drazzle-dazzle someone. No, you. it is an intentional conversation for two people to get together, two human beings, not a prospect and a suspect and a, 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 a it's a potential client, but you're two human beings coming together for a heart-to-heart conversation. Yeah. The close is the easiest part. So when someone's afraid of closing and asking for the sale, it's usually because they're not doing everything else prior to that with intention and graceful and authentic. I was about 10 years in, you reminded me of a story. I was about 10 years into my sales career and I went to work for a, a competing food company and, and one, a good friend of mine that I'd worked with hired me and we were riding down the road and we just had a sales call and we had been there probably 35, 40 minutes with a prospect. And he looks over at me and, and he called me sexy. And he said, he said, sexy. He said, I want to tell you something. That was great. He said, but you're way more entertaining than what that person had to do at that moment. Uh, and what he was telling me was they were entertained, but you didn't build any value. Yeah. They were entertained and you're, you're a nice guy and you're fun to talk to, but what did you, what did we really accomplish there? Are they any closer to buying? Are we any closer to helping them than we were when we, we started this day? And it made me think, about the intention of every word and what value really means to someone else. Mm. It's not what it means to me. I'm right. not buying the product, but it's what it means to them. How do you, how does someone define here? Here's where I want to go with you real quick. Okay. How does someone know what value looks like to a prospect and, and, and how do they define it? Because I know what I would tell him. I want to know what Liz would tell him in that situation when, when people, and that's the buzzword of the day, right? It's, it's, yeah. we've got to build value. Right. So how do, how do you build value when you don't know what value is to that other person? Well, the easiest and most effective way to find that out. <laughs> I love the way you're phrasing that. <laughs> is to ask some freaking questions. That's it. You can only know that by getting in someone else's world. Now, also keep in mind that value is in the eye of the beholder. You can never tell someone what they value. You just, although salespeople do it all day, every day, shoot themselves in the foot and say, you're going to love this because of this. And you're going to love this product because it does this. And you're going to love this. You're telling me what I'm going to love instead of me discovering what I'm going to love by your yeah. questions. So you build value by the way you connect, by the way you look someone in their eye, by the way that you 
can sense that somebody's out of their head and they're in their body. By the way, the, the, the questions are phrased and asked, the way you lean in and listen, the way you answer those questions. It's how you help them through their buying objections. It's the way that you talk about money with them. It's, it's every, that's all value. But you get value by paying attention to what you see lighting someone up, to where they're spending time. What are they talking about? What matters to them? If you ask and ask deeper questions, get under the hood a little bit, people will tell you exactly what they value. But too many salespeople think it's all about, let me go in there with my razzle-dazzle sales pitch and talk about what I love about the product or what our other clients love about this product. No, talk about it from how I, what I need and what I want and what I'm going to love about this product. And saying that in just a three little snippet, three minute snippet right there is not enough to really describe what value is. People experience value. And when somebody feels the value in their own body, if you and I were on a sales call and I start talking to you about my programs and what's involved and how I'm going to help you, I'm going to say something to you like, Brian, earlier you mentioned that one of the things you're struggling with or you keep running interference with or every time you get on a sales call, this happens. One of the things that you and I are going to do is this. I'm going to work with you to do this, this, and this. You and I are going to do some role plays or we're going to do some practice. You are going to get so good. It's like opening night of a play. You'll have practiced. You'll have prepared. You'll have embodied that salesperson and you get to just let the curtain go up you get to be yourself because of your practice because you know that this is built for you everything i do is more customized uh, training and i build it for the person i don't just say brian here's your new script hell no it is all about what do you think about this it's like going to the eye doctor is this better or is this is this more clear or is this and then all of a sudden the client's like oh my gosh, I never thought I could say it that way. Or, wow, I like that phrasing better than that. Or, oh, I always hated asking that question. I like the way you phrased it. And then they get to discover, oh, I guess I can like sales. I can't. I guess I can do it in a way that's intentional. And intention is everything. And it isn't about a chit-chat conversation. It is an intentional conversation. And I say intentional because being intentional and having a process keeps you from winging it. It keeps you from forgetting steps. It keeps you from skipping around your process because your client is throwing you off. Potential client could be asking you questions that really are for later in the sales call. How do you navigate that? How do you handle everything that comes your way so that they're following your process in essence, or you're going to give up control and you're going to lose the sale because they took over, you gave up the reins. Well, and and here's what I love about, and we'll step aside in just a minute and take a break, Liz, but what, what what I have done, and I love what you said about experiencing value through asking questions. And, 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 and another uh, one way I use that is I might say to someone, I'm really curious about what you said here. Tell me more about it. What that does is to your point that you said earlier, it's about that intentional connection. You're listening to what that person is saying and you're validating that by telling them you said this. I'm curious as to why you said that tell me more and right. what that does with another what that does with someone else is 
okay, I'm going to open up. They're interested. I'm going to open up. And to use an, to use this this way, and and a and a tip for some sales some salespeople that are that are listening to this conversation. A buyer will tell you everything you need to know if you simply, like you mentioned a few minutes ago, just ask them. They'll tell you, you know, they'll tell you everything. It's almost, and I don't want to use this analogy this way, and I don't want it to come across this way. But but in the Bible, when Delilah was trying to get to Samson's strength, she said, tell me your whole heart. You know, she mm. said, you know, you're not telling me everything. Do you really love me? Tell me, she was asking those probing questions to really find out the secret of his strength. And, and the more you ask those probing questions without asking those probing questions is where you get to, I love what you said there. That was so good. And it does, it, it does keep you from winging it. It does. It and Brian, keeps you other, from winging it. Yeah. The other thing about questions is how dare you as a salesperson, not you, everyone out there, how dare you? Ask people those deep questions, the painful questions, the one that exposes their issues. How dare you use them to sell them something versus use them to help them solve their problem? There's a big distinction there. Big distinction. You're taking my vulnerability and now you're shifting the conversation. Well, let me show you how we can help versus show me how you can solve my problems and speak to me in a way that I believe you. Oh, I love that. That is so good. We could go for two hours just on this. But, <laughs> but I want Well, but I want to step aside and take a break. And I want to tell Liz's story. And I wanted to have her on to tell her story because she's got a really powerful story. I know a little bit. I want to know more. I'm sure you want to know more. Business and sales consultant Liz Wendling joins me today on the Intentional Courage Podcast. Come back with us in just a moment. Hey everybody, Brian Sexton. Want to tell you about my new book, People Buy From People. 10 Powerful People Lessons from the Ultimate People Person, my dad. My dad was one of the greatest connectors that I ever knew. And he shared with me 10 connecting principles that I have used throughout my 25-year sales and sales management, customer engagement, and leadership career that I'm passing along to you. If you want to be a stronger deeper and more powerful connector, you've got to pick up a copy of People Buy From People. There are concepts in there that you may not realize help make you a power connector. You can go to Amazon and pick it up, Kindle if you're an e-reader and you like to do it that way, or now available on Audible. And there's one other way you can get a copy of People Buy From People. You can get one from me and I'll sign it for you. You go to intentionalmediaandpublishing at gmail.com and send me an email. And I'll share with you the link on how you can get a signed copy. You can buy a signed copy directly from me. Again, people buy from people. If you want to connect like never before, pick up your copy today of people buy from people. And now let's get back to more great conversation here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Liz, go as far back as you want. This is your time. I'm going to try to step out of the way and let you have it. But I want to know your story. I want to know more about your story. So take me back as far back as you want to go. 
through some ups and downs of life and, and kind of where you got from point A to where we are today? Well, it turns out I was quite the sales lady in kindergarten when I, <laughs> I convinced four of my friends to walk to school and then a few houses before we got to school, turn around and go home. And my mother will always likes to tell that story because we all knocked on our fr the front door. She's like, what are you doing home? And I said, oh, I invited everybody over. <laughs> She's like, but you're supposed <laughs> to be in school. So apparently I had that gift back then. But anyway, I have, all, I'd say for 35 years, I've always been in some form of sales, marketing, business development. And I learned how to sell the old fashioned way. I learned how to sell by get the sale, seal the deal, say whatever you have to, to get the sale, push, 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 just get the deal. And that was the only way sales was back then. That That's all it was, was get the deal, close the sale. So I got a job, my real first, like, good sales job. I was in this high-end uh, fitness center in Manhattan, right in the heart of Midtown Manhattan, right off of 42nd Street and 8th Avenue. And I was, I went to sales school. They, they sent me to sales school, myself and four other men. So it was my, I was the only woman and they taught us how to sell very old school, but I decided to zig when everyone else was zagging. And I started to talk to people. And this was something I don't even know where it came from. But I said, I'm going to talk to these people like they're my mom and dad, or my sisters or brothers. And I wound up having conversations with people and using some of the structure from sales training. But I went off script so many times. And I was transparent and I, and and in the state of New York at the time, I think it's still pretty standard US, you had three days to cancel your contract. Mm -hmm. So I was transparent and I actually told people that if they said, oh, I don't know, I'm not sure. I would always say, look, I'm not supposed to tell you this, but even if you did sign up tonight, you can call tomorrow and cancel your membership. I'm not here to force you into something. And I became the top salesperson. This little five foot woman was the top salesperson and the other men hated it. They kept saying, oh, it's because you're a woman. Oh, it's because you have a better shift. No, it was because I had a better script. I went off the script and I treated people like a human being. Everybody wants to know something that, that nobody else knows. And the other salespeople were not telling them this. And so your customers were like, I got some inside intel here. <laughs> I love that, you know, because people want to know what other people don't, you know? Right. So it was, you know, you're this, you're that. It couldn't possibly be because you're better than us. And when I came clean and I told my boss after three months in a row of being the top salesperson, I, I said, I have to come clean. I'm not doing what you taught us in school, in, in sales school. I said, I'm doing a couple of things differently. And he said, I didn't teach you to do it your way. Get your bleep and get out of here. And I got fired on the spot. And I was devastated because what I was doing was working, but what I did was I harmed his ego. I bruised his ego. So it wasn't what he taught me. It was what I taught myself. And little did I know it was, it was in me all along. I just had to give myself permission to be authentic, to be real, to, to go with something that felt right inside me, but still within a structure. I didn't just wing it. I just treated people like the human beings they were. And 35 years later, I do that. The, the same way. I've tweaked it and modified it and even got more intentional and more authentic. And it just, it's, it's something that I now feel like I do naturally. 
take me through the biggest obstacle that you faced in in business or life because you know what we were talking about earlier is i think people i believe people have faced obstacles that they've never faced before and i've said this on on other pot I've, I've said this on other episodes of this podcast i have a i have a soon to be 21 year old son mm. for my generation 9 11 will be a watershed moment yeah it, it is i can tell you exactly where i was at i can tell you and you being you know being from a new yorker native yeah. a, a new yorker I, I know where i was i know what i was doing when i heard the news i i can tell you i can i can go almost hour by hour yep. of that particular day. And I believe for my son's generation, 20 years later, they'll be talking about COVID-19. For sure. In the same way that we talk about 9-11. Um, so let's go there for a second. What are some of, as, as we get closer to the 20th anniversary, what are some of your recollections around 9-11? If, if I could go there for a, a, Please, a second. Yeah, and um, my heart just skipped a little beat because my dad was working in the building next to the World Trade Center. And for and I had an uncle that worked in the Trade Center. All his life, he only had one job, and that was working for the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey. And he was driving to work that day but had a doctor's appointment because he had prostate cancer the year before he was going for his one year checkup on that day. And he dr was driving into Manhattan when the towers went down, he would have been in that building and we couldn't get, we didn't know he was going to the doctor and we didn't know where my dad was for almost three, almost four hours. No one can get in touch with my, my uncle or my father. And it was heart wrenching to think that, my dad could have been there and my uncle could have been in that building. So for us, it was more, oh my gosh, this is going to directly impact us. This is not only going to Im impact it just watching on TV and seeing what the who, who did get killed. But I would just remember getting that phone call. It brings tears to my eyes now and just hearing my sister say, daddy's okay, daddy's okay. And I remember just losing it because that's all I wanted to hear. And so it brings me back to a really sad time of how my life could have changed so much. And, and, and I'll say this, and, and even in West Virginia, and, and I was on my way back from Louisville, Kentucky, about three mm -hmm. hours from here. And my wife calling me and going, I don't know where you are, but my son, who was about to turn one, Mm -hmm. was with my mom my mom it was my mom's day to watch him mm -hmm. and my mom's calling me going i don't care what you have to do and, and you know get get to him get to him get to, you know she kept saying get to him and we were driving as fast as we could oh. because of the uncertainty of that day and and i thought about that a couple of days ago i thought man alive for for two or three days a week or so and i can't mm. imagine what it was like in new york city because the uncertainty lasted so much longer oh yes but for us here the uncertainty was okay and i was in the food biz i was in the food service industry at that time so we did not know the the effects that were going to happen months later of people not going out to eat people really just yeah. watching you know holding on to money and things like that and how everything changed. And I got to ask you this, what was your perspective like in the days and weeks following your dad and your uncle are okay. 
but your city was rocked. Washington, D.C. was rocked. What was your perspective like then? And as you think about it, what do you think you would would say if you could go back and, and talk to Liz in October or November of 2001? What do you think you would say to her if you had a cup of coffee with her around those events and, and how it would shape you going forward? Ooh, I would say trust. Trust that whatever is unfolding is real and don't make it good. Don't make it bad. Don't make stories up. Just be with what's happening. It is happening and accept it because the tendency, the human tendency is to, oh my gosh, the sky is falling and everything else is bad. And oh my gosh. But yet the other side is there's still some beautiful left in the world. We're not, it wasn't, it, it, there's, there's always contrast. So for me, it was more about, I felt this deep sense of trust that I confused with, I thought at first, I'm like, why? I cared, but I felt like my deep trust that I, I, I knew in my heart, everything was going to be okay. But I wondered, do I not care? Is there a reason why I'm not crying every day like other people? But I realized it wasn't, I didn't go to the ugly side. I went to the trust side. And I've been doing that ever since 9-11 is I trust, even with COVID, I'm like, no, you're going to be just fine. You're, you always land on your feet. So little did I know that back then that was going to set me up for something like today. And, but what I also watched my dad do that I didn't recognize it until about a year later was my dad's, the, the building that my dad worked in was heavily damaged next to the trade center. Mm -hmm. And his car was, it stuck in the, in the parking garage on the bottom of the building. And it was there for nine months. He couldn't get his car out. So my dad went to, his boss said, don't come to work. You don't, don't worry about it. There's no work. There's no, there's no building. Just don't come, don't come. And he's like, but I can't. My dad has always just, he's got a lot of energy still. And he's like, I can't do that. You got to find a job for me. You've got to give me something to do. Yeah. So they had my dad pick up a 16 person passenger van and he went and picked up this white van and he drove around taking around like insurance adjusters and people who needed to get to ground zero. He became a driver. <laughs> he loved wow. it. He got to meet people and talk to people and he felt useful. He wasn't sitting at home watching watching what's happening and, and counting the, the people that died. He said, put me to work, make me do something. I need to be useful. I need to keep moving. So he taught me that lesson of in the worst times, just start giving, just start giving and it works. So I, not until just right now, Brian, did I connect that to what I did to COVID that I just went into giving mode because that made me feel good. Just like my dad getting his passenger van, it made him feel good. So I stepped into service instead of sorrow. Wow. I love that. I, I want to jot that down. Stepping in to service rather than sorrow, because I asked you about the biggest obstacle that you had overcome. And, and in that, in, in that, describing that moment, I kind of sensed that, that that was what you took out of it. That great lesson of stepping into service rather than sorrow, because, and I think about it and, and I, I hope at the time that we record this, I hope that we're not so COVID frenzy 
that we forget mm. the sacrifice of nearly 3,600 Americans right. who lost their lives in D.C. Yes. and in New York and in Shanksville, Pennsylvania. And we, we remember those people for what they, they gave, what they did, mm -hmm. what was done to us by, by horribly wicked people. And so I, I hope in the, in the midst of this COVID crisis, crazy time that we're in, I hope September 11th is a day that we all come together and we remember those people. And, and I'm not trying to get preachy or anything like mm -hmm. that, but we would be doing a grave disservice in my opinion, if, if we just, if we were so COVID focused that we forgot what happened to us 20 years ago as a country, because I don't know anybody that didn't put an American flag in their front yard right, right. or, or didn't just, or didn't pray for people in New York and DC. And I'll share something with you real quick. Several years ago, I got to go to a firehouse in DC mm -hmm. when I was working up there. And I asked, that person, I said, can I, I asked the person I was calling on, I said, can I ask you a question? And he said, yeah. I said, were there, was, was this garage involved in 9-11? And he said, oh yes. He said, we had damaged fire trucks. We had fire trucks that we had worked on that, that had come in and out of here. He said, absolutely. We were a part of not you, where you're standing mm. right now was a part of 9-11 and you couldn't help but feel an overwhelming sense of history. Right. And, and just be, and it was, it was, I was awestruck mm. in that moment. Liz, I am so grateful that we went there with that com with that part of the conversation. And I've got to ask you as we wrap up and you've been so gracious with your time, share with this audience, your biggest piece of intentional encouragement. When in doubt, pause, and go inside, not outside. Stop long enough to reflect and listen to your intuition first before you go reaching outside for someone else to tell you what to do. Because if you really sit long enough, you know what to do. Wow. That is so good. That is so good. Tell folks how they can connect with you. I mean, I know how to connect with you, but <laughs> you tell them how to connect with you where, well, where they, they can find you. Gosh, they can start with LinkedIn, connect with me there. They can go to my website at Liz at LizWendling.com or head over to Amazon. I have six books there. Well, four for entrepreneurs and two for attorneys. And my two latest books are have a lot of content on some of the mindset and intentions we talked about today. That is so cool. Liz Wendling, this has been a really fun conversation. I've been looking forward to this all day. Me too. And, and, <laughs> and I'm so grateful for your time. And thank you for joining me on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Thank you, Brian. My thanks as always to producer Bryce Sexton and technical advisor Matt Means. And of course, the ultimate thanks goes to the Lord Jesus Christ, who provides intentional encouragement every day through his word. If you're not subscribed to the Intentional Encourager podcast, hit the subscribe button wherever you get podcasts so you don't miss an exciting episode where you can get encouraged and stay encouraged. And remember, anyone, anywhere, at any time, any place can be an intentional encourager.